This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. It's quite the timely edition of Play-By-Play Cast. Thanks again for clicking subscribe or download and joining us once again here on a Friday morning. Our guest today, or our guest this week, is Anish Shroff from ESPN. He'll be on the call for the football uh, championship subdivision game, the FCS National Championship game, tomorrow. If you're listening to this podcast on time, it's James Madison and Youngstown State tomorrow in Frisco, Texas. Faux Polini is going to have a tweet fest. I haven't looked in on what he's been up to the last couple of days, but I'm sure he's been into it already. But the fighting Bo Polinis against James Madison, uh, no North Dakota State, so we'll have a new national champion in the FCS uh, division of college football. But Anish Shroff will have the call of that uh, on the four-letter network coming up this weekend. So uh, quite timely that we get him on the podcast here this week. And we'll get to what we talk about with Anish here in uh, just a couple of seconds. But first, house cleaning notes. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, feel free to do so. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at PXPCast. You can use the hashtag PXPCast as well. Now you can shoot me an email. My email's out there. Uh, if, if you can find it, uh, go ahead and shoot me an email. Um, it's on the Ball State Athletics website, if, if that makes it easier for you. Uh, people have shot me some emails. If you want to uh, talk shop or pick my brain or tell me this podcast is terrible uh feel free to to go ahead and do that uh love hearing uh questions comments and then some of that gets turned back into podcast material as well got an email a couple of weeks ago and i wanted to know about production aspects of things and uh ask some more agent questions and things like that uh we're gonna get into very briefly some agent stuff with a niche but very heavily working with a production team and how that enhances uh, a broadcast from a play-by-play standpoint on television that's a large chunk of our conversation so if you have stuff you want to hear about or stuff that you're curious about uh, shoot me a message let me know and when we get into the right avenues and with the right people sometimes uh, those are, are topics we can we can branch off into and discuss and hopefully uh, hit some areas of interest for not just me but people that are out there listening as well and uh, and I'm glad we did with Anish and you'll hear why uh, as we get toward the back half of our conversation some really good stuff on pre-production and working with good production teams uh, and working with good producers and directors and uh, how those relationships all work so all of that coming up on this episode which is by the way our first episode of 2017. Ring in the new year, everybody. Happy New Year. I uh, was listening on Dan Patrick, I think it was, this morning. They said, Happy New Year is valid still uh, the second Monday of the new year. So you're good saying Happy New Year until Monday. Because this Monday was the second, so next Monday is the ninth. Uh, Tuesday the 10th, no more Happy New Year. It's just, it's just a new year, and uh, I guess Happy New Year, that's out. So... Uh, the only time I can say Happy New Year on this podcast, this episode, according to Paul Pabst. So, Happy New Year. Uh, crazy time of year, though. I'm currently sitting here as we record uh, the intro to the podcast. It is 12.30 in the morning here on Friday, 
And I'm almost done with some prep work. I've got a bag of white cherries here keeping me company. Um, almost done with prep work, though, because it's a crazy week. And that's the great time of year as a broadcaster. Had a game at Kent, Ohio. Men's basketball game, Ball State, Kent State, Tuesday night, which was a 100-90 to defensive expose. Uh, that was Tuesday, came home, walked in my front door at 345 Wednesday morning, and then did Ball State, Kent State women's basketball, which actually was more of a true defensive game, uh, on Wednesday night. Nothing on Thursday. Friday, hopping in the car, driving to Ypsilanti, Michigan, where I've got gymnastics, Kentucky against Eastern Michigan. So I will talk uh, Yurchenko fulls and half pikes and... Uh, Pack Saltos tonight, if you're listening to this on Friday, from Ypsilanti. Then drive back home, probably walk in my door around 2 o'clock. And then Saturday, two basketball games. I've got a men's game, Ball State against uh, Bowling Green. And then the women's game, Ball State against Western Michigan. And then Sunday, we rest. So that's good. Monday, Monday's a radio show. And then Tuesday's a basketball game. So really, it's an endless, vicious cycle. But uh, that's why we do it, and that's the fun part of uh, this time of year. So if you guys are in the thick of crazy schedules out there, uh, enjoy it. I go stir-crazy over the summer. That's why we have this podcast. (laughs) I had nothing to do over the summer, and a podcast was born. Uh, But these are the times of year that everybody really, truly loves. Um, Also because it's football championship time. National championship coming up on Monday. FCS championship on Saturday, which brings us back to Anish Shroff, who's an interesting character from the standpoint of he did play-by-play when he was in college. He's a Syracuse guy, a WAER guy, did play-by-play on radio coming out uh, through his time in college, but then out of school, went into television anchoring, went to Yakima, Washington, uh, and he'll get into this all, but went to Yakima, Washington and wound up back in Syracuse. Uh, working for 9WSYR, and then wound up in, uh, in the ESPN family from, uh, from SYR and was uh, an anchor at ESPN. And Anish will, will detail the entire process of how he gets into play-by-play, but we, always, we learn a new way every week. There's no one way to do this. And it's interesting to hear everybody in, in particular, their route and their story. Uh, so Anish getting into play-by-play, he'll talk about, again, we'll talk about a lot of production stuff as well. Some really interesting conversations that I think are fairly unique to conversations we've had previously on this podcast. So excited to bring you our talk today with Anish Shroff from ESPN. Yeah, interesting story. So uh, a few years ago, about uh, five or so years ago, uh, you know, I was a straight studio guy. I was in the uh, Bristol bullpen, if you will. Did ESPN News, College Football Live, filled in on Sports Center, and sort of, you know, a utility guy. And uh, one year they had asked if I wanted to come down to Charlotte to help with signing day coverage. And it was February, so that was a no-brainer, Connecticut or North Carolina. <laughs> uh, There's actually snow on the ground in North Carolina when I arrived, which was a shocker because I have not seen that much snow in the uh, f- four and a half, five years that I've lived down here. But anyway, we went and did the show. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, right before I was about to leave the studio, I struck up a conversation in a hallway with uh, the guy who is head of all the remote event productions down at ESPNU. And we were just talking and then shooting the breeze. And, you know, he was sort of asking me, had I done any remote events? And 
um, had a done any play-by-play, and the first thing I thought of was, yeah, sure, you know, in college I had. <laughs> so he uh, asked, uh, you know, hey, what sports have you done? And I said, you know, I've done football, basketball, and baseball. And then it dawned on me, uh, I did lacrosse, too. And he kind of, you know, took a step back and he said, oh, you've, you've done some lacrosse. You know, we're always looking for another lacrosse guy. And he was half kidding. And so was I. And I said, well, if somebody calls in sick and you need somebody in a pinch, I'd be happy to help. And he goes, you know what? Uh, if you want to get in the mix, uh, I don't mind giving you a shot um, as long as you can clear it with the folks in Bristol. And that sort of got me thinking and that got this whole ball rolling and it really uh, altered uh, probably the direction of my career, at least somewhat. So I took him up on that and I, you know, got the clearance from the folks in Bristol and they gave me one lacrosse game. Uh, it was Georgetown, Notre Dame. It was really the first play-by-play broadcast that I had done since doing a CBA basketball game in Yakima, Washington. I did some filling stuff and some high school basketball radio when I was out there for my first job in TV. And I hadn't done any lacrosse since my college days. So, you know, I prepared for the game. I had about a month to prepare, so I knew everybody's grandmother by the time (laughs) I went in. You go and do the game. I thought it went pretty well, not having done it in a long time, especially on that kind of level and never having done a TV game. And so I kind of, you know, did the game. I got some feedback and... Uh, they kind of said, hey, you know, is this something that you would like to do? And, and not really knowing what I'd be getting into, uh, I said yes, because uh, as I've learned, you don't say no to anything in this business. And the opportunity came up a few months later to do uh, a football package. And that was really what started to change my thinking a little bit. You know, I'd been a studio guy, and most of my reps had been on the studio side. But I did remember, you know, when I was in college, I really enjoyed doing play-by-play. And, uh, you know, it was a path that I did consider at one point. And I know a lot of people kind of have different avenues to go there. And I thought that this could be a viable option. Um, I didn't know if I would do it full-time or do it on a, you know, give up the studio stuff to do it. But it was something that, that certainly scratched an itch. So we went through a season of football, and then I – you know, really said to myself, hey, this is interesting, and, and I'm getting the the adrenaline rush of being at a live event again, and, and this is something I'd like to pursue a little further. And, you know, given my status, you know, up in Bristol, I'm not quite on the Fowler, Tarico, Reese Davis level where guys can kind of move from the studio side to the remote side. You know, they, they kind of made it clear to me, hey, you know, we hired you as a studio guy, and then Basically, what that entails is if I have a 40-hour work week, which I was allotted, if I'm doing a game, the day I'm doing a game counts as a day uh, of work. The day I travel and the day I travel back would also count. So essentially, you take away three days. Now I'm in the studio once or twice a week, and really that's what they were paying me for. They weren't paying me to be a play-by-play guy. That's not what they hired me for. So I kind of started to get the itch, and I had some really good people up there who said, you know, we'll work with you and we'll see what we can do to free up for more events. And the opportunity came where they wanted to expand down at ESPNU, and they came to me and basically said, hey, we would create a position for you where we would gradually uh, give you more reps on the play-by-play side if you'd be willing to do studio work on the ESPNU side. And, you know, I thought about it for a long time. I just 
because, you know, to, to be honest about it, you know, the, the profile of the studio shows from what I was doing to what I would be doing would certainly diminish a little bit, not as many eyeballs, but I really thought it was an opportunity to grow and expand a skill set. And you kind of look at where this medium is going and where television viewing habits are going. The one thing people are still tuning into are live sporting events. And so, you know, I talked to a lot of people. I got a lot of really good feedback. And at the end of the day, I felt it was the right move. And um, it's kind of interesting. Now I have this hybrid role. Um, and people have asked me a lot. I get the question a lot, you know, is there one that you like more than the other? And I said, yeah, it kind of depends on where we are in the season um, and what it is you're covering. But I really like having the flexibility of, of being able uh, to do both, of uh, having a full football schedule, a pretty good basketball schedule, and then, um, you know, having a chance to spend some time at home as well and some more time in the studio during the spring. So it's uh, – um, and in some sense, it's the best of both worlds. But it's a um, it, it's it's an interesting career arc, and it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting path for sure. Did you was this something you ever envisioned, or were you cool just being a studio guy? If you go back six seven years ago, if I would have asked you that question. Well, you know, obviously, I was uh, very happy being a studio guy. You know, I was at ESPN and, you know, kind of uh, working my way up the pecking order there on the studio. And so, um, you know, you're not really complaining about, you know, where you are and then uh, where you're going to go. And uh, it was a pretty good gig. I mean, did you have the itch, though, or was it grow. like, did, did you want to do play by play or did it just kind of it, it fell in your lap with that Notre Dame game and, and you went? You know, I wanted to do it probably more so when I was in college and right after I graduated college. Uh, but, you know, I was kind of one of those guys, even after I graduated, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, shoot, I'm in my 30s now. I still don't know what I want to do, to be <laughs> perfectly honest with you. Um, and, and, you know, I'm one of these people where I like the challenge and, you know, I've always kind of said the detour sometimes becomes the destination and I'm probably a classic example of that. And, no, it wasn't something that I really had on my radar. It wasn't really something I thought about. Even doing a one-off lacrosse game, I just really thought it would be fun. You know, really nothing else. I didn't really think it would change things, you know, per se. Um, but it but it did. And then that one lacrosse game, you know, led to some opportunities with football and basketball and, and more lacrosse and uh, even some baseball. So, um, no, it wasn't something that I really considered six, seven years ago when I got here as a studio guy. Um, but, you know, obviously I think about it differently now. Sure. What's uh, R- Richard Deitch has, has asked this kind of line of questioning on, on his podcast before, uh, too. But uh, so I feel like I'm stealing it. Um, but what's it like navigating the the ladder up once you you did that one lacrosse game, which then turned into eventually that football package that you talked about um, being able to climb that internal ladder of um, priority in terms of who they turn to for games and, and what you're doing? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say it's 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 an easy climb. Um, you know, the, the challenge I sometimes find myself in is, you know, I still have studio responsibilities, and and um, you know, my games sort of are handed to me as part of my set schedule, and so the you know the flexibility that you may or may not have um, still may not be what some other folks have, but um, you know, I, I think could it be different if I gave up one side? Or the other, maybe, you know, I've, I've thought of that at some time, uh, at some points. But, um, you know, it's certainly, you know, it's 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 daunting to climb that internal ladder. I mean, we I think we've got a, a ton of talented people, um, you know, in our stable. And you're just 
you're trying to do what you can. And, you know, I'll be honest, I've, I've never really been one to worry about what other people are doing or what they're not doing. You know, my, what I can control is, you know, the body of work that I put out there. And so that's sort of where my focus is, is kind of always been, um, you know, <laughs> um, and, you know, I've, I've made some, some progress on the remote side, but, you know, I also knew full well going in. I, I just, I just didn't have the reps as a seasoned play by play guy. Um, and so I'm trying to gain those reps um, at a level where most people uh, probably have those reps ready. Yeah, what's it like trying to do that? Uh, and and uh, I guess at some level dealing with uh, pressure inherent. Oh yeah, no question. I mean, it was it was daunting. I mean, I feel a lot more comfortable now than I did a few years ago, where you know just little things. You're still trying to figure out a formula and how to put things together. I think probably the hardest part was, you know, I had the studio stuff down to a science where I would come into a show. I knew exactly how to prepare for it. If there was a topic or a subject or a sport where I felt weak in, I sort of knew how to dance my way around it to make it sound like I knew what I was talking about. And then you get into a, a college football game or an environment where you're talking about, you know, two teams that, especially in the beginning, I mean, this is, as you well know, I mean, it's harder when you're talking about teams that are less known. Um, you know, when you're talking about, I've got a bowl game with Nebraska and, and Tennessee, you know, you see all the time, those are easy to talk about those teams, but you know, when you have middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky or a high school game or, uh, you know, a MEAC SWAC game, and there's not as much information going around, those are the games that are harder to prep for. So it was a challenge and just trying to figure out a system. And uh, really the first couple of years, it was just getting into a routine um, from a play-by-play preparation standpoint, you know, what to do on Monday, what to do on Tuesday, how much tape do I watch, how to really organize my thoughts and organize my week and line things up. And, uh, you know, you basically spend a couple of years trying to perfect that system. What's the best way to work as efficiently as you can? And, you know, in the last few years, I figured I've got a, a much better handle on that, and that's probably helped me become a better play-by-play guy in that span, too. What's available to you prep-wise? Uh, obviously, there's stuff that you're going to do on your own, and you're going to make phone calls and things of that nature. But uh, being an ESPN guy, and I don't know if maybe there's more being a, a studio guy too, uh, statistically or research-wise, uh, what kind of stuff's at your fingertips that you can play with to, to feel better about it? You know, from a statistics standpoint, you know, we have a great research department and they can come up with some really good things. And the true media is a great help where you can really get some great next level stats on teams' tendencies on first down and second down and how often they blitz and how many of their plays are run for negative yards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I still kind of go back. I'm a little old school. I still kind of go back to the fact that. You know, we're in the business of telling stories. And at the end of the day, I mean, what do you remember about a kid? Do you remember that his family escaped war-torn Liberia? Or do you remember that he's run for 100-plus yards in four of the last five games? And I always kind of think of myself um, as a viewer at home, and I like to put people who are watching at home, bring them into the sphere of these players and these coaches and these personalities where you can find out something meaningful about them. So most of my prep, I would say, is probably focused more on finding these stories, and that's talking to a lot of people, reading a lot of stuff, uh, making a lot of phone calls. Uh, But if you can find one or two nuggets that that just 
make a player intriguing that has a viewer at home going, oh, I didn't know that about him, or, or, or that's fascinating, or that's a reason to root for him, or that's something new I didn't know about him and I've learned from him. I always find that stuff to be more meaningful than just stats. I think stats are important, but I sometimes think we get a little too carried away with stats. What do you do that's maybe a little out outside the box in terms of prepping and finding stories and doing that kind of digging? Uh, you know, when I was in minor league baseball, I always used to call high school and college coaches and see where that would lead me. Yep. Uh, I can't do that anymore because the, the recruiting rules, like I can't talk to high school coaches. So I, I found that out the hard way. Um, <laughs> what, what do you do as far as uh, digging and trying to find more and, and to what depths and breadths do you go? Talking to coaches is a big part of it. Um, I'm big on first person as well. Um, if I can talk to the players, you know, Monday I'll often call both schools. And if I can line up an interview with three or four players from both schools, and usually, you know, it's a five or 10 minute phone conversation, find out about their personality, uh, find out about who they are, what makes them sick, uh, go into practice, obviously, if you can. Uh, I think you get so much more out of the conversations to be honest with you than you do just looking stuff up on the internet and then probably the one area i would say from a broadcast prep that i like to spend uh, maybe too much time on is how we come on the air um that was something i felt you know we always put a lot of stock in on the studio side you know what is our first block going to look like what is our tease going to look like how do we come on the air how do we catch the viewers attention right off the top so they're going to stay with us Sometimes on the remote side, I feel that's not as important. And I get it to a certain degree where you know, people are going to tune in for the game and they want to watch the game, but I still think you have to sell that game off the top. And if you can do it in a way that's different or, or creative uh, or a little outside the box, I think that can also uh, hold the viewer's attention. And, and you know, the moment I believe the moment you get the viewer going, where are they going with this? You've got their attention. And so, uh, you know, I'm a little odd that way. I like to, <laughs> I like to find some some strange things. Uh, I'd be the first one to tell you it doesn't always work, but uh, you know, you still got to you still got to try. I was actually going to ask how studio stuff informs play by play stuff. Uh, what what have you done that you've liked, and and uh, what hasn't worked on on both sides of that coin? Sure. Um, you know, I thought one that we had a couple of weeks ago. You know, we had. Uh, it was uh, the FCS quarterfinal game, and it was North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and North Dakota State was the five-time defending champion. And the idea that we had with South Dakota State being the only team that had beaten North Dakota State this year, and they beat them in North Dakota State's building. With Rogue One coming out, we thought we could do a Star Wars crawl um, to start our broadcast. That was awesome, That's too. basically what we did. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so we, we kind of put together, um, you know, uh, the little scroll text, or I should say the, the, the blue text right off the top, but instead of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, we used the tagline from the movie Fargo, which is a lot can happen in the middle of nowhere. And then we had this scrolling text come up. We couldn't get the music right. That was a fun process just because it was such a team effort in putting that together, and our producer really lobbied uh, to make sure we could get that on the air. Disney obviously is very protective of a $4 billion property that it acquired. <laughs> and the last thing they want is Yahoo's like us messing that up. Uh, so, you know, we had to navigate a lot of channels internally to get that cleared. But, you know, that was really reassuring. Uh, we have tried some other stuff that, that, that 
you know, we, we missed on, um, you know, we, we tried a, a different kind of open, uh, toward the end of a regular season for football. It was rivalry week and, uh, we had started, uh, you know, down on the field where these kids were playing football and we thought, you know, hey, this would be a way to delineate where rivalries begin and then take it from there. It just, it just wasn't executed well. It didn't work. Um, but it was something different. Um, one that I really liked that we did this year. We were at Texas A&M, and you know they were playing an overmatched opponent that week. But my analyst played at Texas, former Longhorn, played at Kyle Field, and we thought it would be cool with a team that was coming into Kyle Field that had never been there before to give people a sense of what they were getting into. So we started the broadcast with our analysts in the stands with the 12th man, which is on the opposite side of the press box. And it was a pretty cool scene. And then we had a GoPro follow him, uh, basically making the run after the open, which we did live uh, from one end of the field back up to the press box. And to his credit, he's still in good shape. He only missed about four or five plays. Uh, but it was, again, it was just a, a different way of, of setting that game up, especially when you know Texas A&M was playing uh, New Mexico State, a team that they rolled, uh, and predictably so. What's the thought process like for that? I mean, do you sit down and think, what can I do different this week, or does stuff just come to you? And what's it like being able to uh, lobby probably, for Probably, you know, being able to lobby for it is not always easy because sometimes you do get a lot of pushback. It really takes cooperation um, on everybody's part. Everybody has to want to do it. And, you know, to me, the big thing is if you can set that precedent early, and I always like to talk to the producers, and most producers are, you know, on the creative side, and they like doing things that are different and, and, and not just, you know, following the same cookie cutter. Um, so usually if your producer's on board, then he can kind of round up everybody, get the director on board. But we have an ideas call um, every Tuesday morning. And so I'll usually try to come up with something for that call, probably talk to the producer beforehand. And, you know, the more people that are on board with it, the more you can brainwash everybody else into getting on board with it. So uh, that's the lobbying part of it. In terms of where the ideas come from, uh, shoot, man. I mean, sometimes they just come to me. Uh, <laughs> sometimes they come to me the Friday before the game. Sometimes they come to me as soon as I have the assignment. Um, it's. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish I had a, a good answer for you. I mean, I'm. I'm probably just wired a little weird to begin with. So um, they. They have uh, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes uh, I'll send some emails out. My producer will send an email back with, you know, uh, something along the lines of you're not serious, are you? So that, that happens quite often as well. I feel like being wired weird though, is a benefit in this business in a lot of ways. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> um, you know, I, I like to read a lot and then I, you know, keep, uh, I've got about, you know, six or seven of these uh, tiny little notebooks of just words and sayings and, really brainstorms and you know i flip through them fairly often and a lot of times that's where i'll get my ideas from or i'll see something on tv or i'll watch a tv show and i like how they did that i'll just scribble it down so i kind of keep a running i do keep a running notebook of ideas which i refer to and you know sometimes you know you, you go through that enough times there's a lot of these seeds planted in your head and all of a sudden you know you see a game or you see a team or you see a storyline and you know, that's really the drop of rain that gets it to flower. So, um, yeah, you know, I wish there was a science behind it, but but there's there's really not. It's uh, the fluid process, as I'd like to say. I actually had a, a question on that I was going to get to, but you, you brought up the, the reading aspect of things. Um, 
I, I had read where you basically read a lot of things growing up um, that were not like the traditional, like you, you read a lot of like books that people should be reading, but don't, uh, so to speak, um, and that it's, <laughs> that it's carried on. Um, and you know, I mean, the first guy I ever worked for was Benetti, uh, who I think I feel like in, in a lot of ways is, is similar and it clearly informs what he does on the air because he can just think of things at the drop of a hat. Uh, do you feel like what you read and the breadth of kind of interests you've had and, and have and can have, uh, helps you in what you do and helps you be more creative in what you do too? Yeah, there's absolutely, there's no question. I mean, I think the more you can read it, to be honest with you, outside of the sphere of sports, helps you more than anything. Um, you know, the guy I idolized growing up was Bob Costas. And what I loved about Costas was, you know, the way he could craft an open, the way he could turn a phrase. I felt there was almost a didactic feeling to his broadcasts where I'd learned something from him. And it may have been a word. It may have been a story. When he hosted the Athens Olympics as somebody who is a nut for Greek and Roman history, I felt like he was narrating, you know, the history of ancient, you know, uh, the Peloponnesian War and then, you know, the history of ancient Greece and talking about Sparta and Athens and Marathon and Pheidippides and all this. And I'm thinking, man, like, this guy's a sportscaster. And, and it was it was incredible. And so uh, I was fortunate when I was a kid. You know, obviously I read a lot about sports, but uh, my mom, you know, kind of made a deal with me. It wasn't really a deal. It was more of a, a dictatorship where uh, she basically decreed that for every sports book, if I wanted to continue to read um, about sports for every sports book I would read, she would have to pick out a book of, uh, of her choosing. And, you know, um, I didn't realize it then. I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for it now. Because, you know, some of the books that I was being fed, it was, you know, here's Wuthering Heights and here's Jane Eyre. And I'm like, why am I reading Jane Eyre? And why am I reading Lost Horizon? And why am I reading, you know, uh, whatever else, you know, that that, that was thrown my way? And, um, you know, you, you grow up and you find out, oh, hey, Catch-22, that was that was a classic. Oh, a Clockwork Orange, where I had no idea what those words meant when I was 14 or 15 years old. But... Um, you know, it's one of the classics of literature and, and, and Ayn Rand and all that stuff. So, you know, you kind of you kind of walk through that process. And, you know, as you grow up and you get older, you, you have a greater appreciation for, um, you know, having read those things. And then even still today, I mean, you know, most of the stuff that I read now, um, you know, I still read books about sports. But I would say probably one out of every five books that I read is, is about sports. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't I don't think there's a lot of well-written sports books to begin with. Um and, uh, you know, I, I would say, you know, the ones that, that I would consider well-read or well-written, you know, Boys of Summer, uh, Seabiscuit, uh, you know, Season on the Brink, you know, which is really well-reported, you know, things like that. You know, obviously you've read those. But, I, you know, I think the, the big thing is, you know, be interested in everything. So if it's a book on politics that you like, you know, that's what I'm reading. Then the last couple of books I've read have been on politics, Um you know, read a book on the fabric of it was called the fabric of the cosmos. I saw this author on David Letterman talking about time travel, and he actually gets into the mathematics of it. I had nothing, <laughs> zero knowledge of, of, of rocket science, brain theory. It was one of the most fascinating books I've ever read because I knew nothing of it, and, and the author did a really good job of explaining uh, all that stuff. Uh, you know, next level physics to a communications major. So. Um, I just think it's great to be interested in different things. I mean, I, I would say that that probably more than anything helps bring about some of these ideas. You know, 
uh, let me, I'll give you, I'll give you a good one here. You know, the, uh, FCS semifinal last week in, in Cheney, you know, um, and it was, uh, played on the red turf at Eastern Washington, the Inferno. And, um, you know, we weren't sure if we were going to do that game or go back to Fargo. And, you know, the, the open that I wanted to plan out was, you know, I, I think of the, the great opening lines from Dante's Inferno, you know, midway upon the journey of life, find myself far start. And I said, I was telling my producer, we're starting the broadcast like that. He goes, not on your life. But see, that these are the conversations we have during the week. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what, what's the feedback system you get uh, beyond even that stuff, too? How much, uh, how much watching back of uh, your stuff does Bristol or Charlotte do? And then how detailed does it get in terms of, uh, or, or how intricate does it get in terms of things you might have said or the way you might have called plays or all of that stuff? You know, I, I wish there was more. Um, you know, I probably need to do a better job of seeking more of it out. I think sometimes you get caught up just in a time crunch. Um, to be honest with you, you know how it is. You're yep. juggling, you know, 10 different things. And, uh, you know, I really wish that's the one thing I really wish I could just spend more time on is, is getting feedback. But I've got people in my network. I've got people who I trust and then guys who are much more established than me in the business where, especially during the off season, you know, I'll, I'll put a cut up together and I'll, send it out to, you know, a dozen or so people whose opinions I respect, uh, you know, peers of mine, colleagues of mine, uh, people I look up to, mentors of mine, and uh, solicit their feedback. Um, I probably should be better at, at self-critiquing. Um, you know, I'm pretty hard on myself, but uh, I just kind of sometimes don't have time to, uh, you know, to watch uh, what I did. Um, and I, and I kind of wish that I had a little bit more time to kind of go back and, and see what was and what worked and what didn't work. Um, and that's just, again, with my schedule and then doing studio and, um, you know, certain other demands, um, you know, you have to cut corners somewhere, uh, unfortunately, at times. And then that's the one place that I really wish I could uh, probably spend more time is just kind of going back and, and, and self-critiquing. One of the things that uh, a handful of people have asked about that have listened to uh, to previous episodes, they ask a lot about agent stuff um, and the, the yeah. way that those relationships work. Uh, how much does that factor into, I mean, how much stuff gets sent to them and then they watch and let you know what's, what's good, what's bad, what's, what's great, what's ugly. Yeah. I mean, they're probably um, at the top of the list in terms of whose opinion I respect and uh, whose feedback I solicit the most. And I do that on a regular basis. And uh, my agents are really good about that where uh, they'll send me a detailed write up and uh, offer suggestions and what you can do differently with voice and breathing delivery, energy, all those things. So I, I put agents right at the top of the list, uh, especially if you have good ones. So, you know, there's some that really, you know, um, once they get you a job, they don't really care about your development in the job. Um, but there are ones that do care a lot about the development uh, aspect of it and then want to see you not just have a job but a career in this business. What are the types of I mean, how much of that stuff are you thinking about when you're doing a game as far as how I'm breathing, uh, where my inflection is coming from, all of that? Or, or is that you try to get it to be subconscious and worry about it after the fact? You try to get it to be subconscious and worry about it after the fact. But when it's things that you are working on and when it's different ideas uh, that you want to execute, sure, it's on your mind. But, you know, the ultimate goal is to get to a point where that becomes second nature and as you speak and as you deliver your broadcast, you're just sort of rolling right along and, you know, you've created a habit loop um, that reinforces the positive habits, not the negative ones. Uh, production team. I and mean, we talked a lot about the, the, the 
stuff off the top, but how much does working with a good production team make you better as well? Um, uh, it's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. Uh, you know, to work with a good producer, um, if you can get a sense of calm, um, really from the folks in the truck, um, to have a good analyst who understands how to build rapport, uh, that, that stuff is huge. That stuff probably doesn't get talked about enough, which is just building those internal relationships within your crew, taking care of your crew, um, having a producer and director that want to help you, um, that you get along with, that you get along with once the broadcast is over, um, you know, building those personal relationships, you know, going out with those guys after, um, socializing with them outside of uh, just, you know, your work event, um, all those things help. Um, you know, you, you want to do good, um, you know, you want to do well um, for them and they want to do well for you. And, and that works both ways. And you want people there who, you know, support you. And then, and, and, you know, you see them working hard. You don't want to let them down and vice versa. So uh, that that's, that is crucial. That is crucial. I've never understood, you know, when I hear stories about people just, you know, being jerks to their production crew and then, and, and, you know, being divas. And then you know, I hear stories like that from time to time. I, I never understood it because, um, you know, none of us are bigger um, than any of the other people, you know, uh, during that process. And, you know, it may seem like a minor role or it may see something, but, you know, um, to put that production together, to put a broadcast on the air, it takes more than just a producer. It takes more than just the talent. It takes more than just the director. There's a lot of people involved. And, uh, you know, it's a high-level operation. And, and, you know, you have to make those people feel appreciated. And, um, you know, because what they do is, is significant and it impacts your job. I was going to say, what are the as it relates to you, uh, what are the good, what do the good ones do um, that make things tick uh, in, in regarding to um, making your life easier, better, and then vice versa, what you can do to, to help them out? You know, the good ones, they're really able to look ahead. Uh, you might be caught in a moment, they're able to forecast two moments ahead, and that's huge, and it keeps you on your toes. Um, they're able to anticipate, you know, when something happens to pop a graphic right away, uh, when the player's coming off the field, and if you're talking about somebody without you having to jump in to talk back, a director can just find that player uh, because they're familiar with the storylines. Preparation is key. Organization is key. And then really it's just in-game instincts, you know, having an idea of what's being said, listening, following, and then also sort of directing and uh, navigating and kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, from a viewer perspective, what is it that I want to see? Because sometimes, as you know, you get so caught up in the moment, so caught up in the game, and during the course of the week, you're so knee-deep in research um, you know, you sometimes maybe lose track of the bigger picture and maybe what you want to get across to the viewer. And a good producer is really good at, you know, kind of pulling back when it needs to be pulled back and saying, hey, let's 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 revisit this. Let's revisit this. That's something I think a really good producer does, too, is, uh, you know, when you have something really good and you have a really good element and really good material, reuse it. You know, reuse your best stuff. People aren't always going to be tuning in for the duration. So what you used in the first quarter doesn't mean you can't bring it back in the third quarter uh, if it's still germane to what you're trying to get across. I had never thought about that. Tell, tell me more about that. Uh, as, as far as uh, how, do you, how do you revisit things and how do you set things up to... Wh what's the right way to do that in case, you know, to, 
to inform the person who's new but not necessarily alienate the person who's been with you the entire time? Well, sure, and here's the thing. If the person has been with you the entire time and they say, well, I've already seen this, well, odds are the reason they're with you the entire time is that they're not going to stop watching. True. Um, you know, and so you're probably going to have them anyway, but think of it this way. You set a couple of storylines and you set a couple of maybe interesting graphic or glitzes right at the top of the broadcast. Great. Well, let's say now you're in the third quarter and it's a three-point game or you're in the fourth quarter and it's a three-point game and you want to bring this glitch back, you probably have a lot of viewers who are tuning in. And, uh, hey, it's a close game. I mean, we live in a world of smartphones and instant access to what's going on and where it's going on. How many times are you on Twitter and you see somebody tweeting about a close game? You say, hey, let me get there. You flip on your TV or you pop up the app to your smartphone. Now you get to that venue and you get to that spot and you get to that channel and you're watching and now you haven't seen anything, but you're only now watching because it's a close game. And, uh, you know, a good producer can sense that, hey, we have a close game. We probably have a new audience. Let's reset. Let's bring back some of our old element. Let's do a highlight recap of what we've seen, even if we just did it, you know, 30 or 40 minutes ago because there's a good chance we have a new audience. So that's something to think about. I think the really good ones, you know, just have a sixth sense about that and can see the game, not just from a technical standpoint, but also they can see the game from a man or woman or a husband or wife or child that's watching at home or just turned on the channel. I have a couple more things for you, and I want to take too much more of your time. Uh, and then one uh, separate question. Um, but... Uh... And now that I've said that, I've totally lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, I know you're doing the FCS title game coming up. Um, what's, yeah. what's being involved in a national championship broadcast like? You know, um, it's interesting because probably our highest rated game of the FCS playoffs, and I've done this run now for a few years, is the quarterfinal game because it airs on ESPN. The championship game is on ESPN2 uh, as is the semifinal. Uh, but it's the quarterfinal game that's on ESPN. That's where we threw in the Star Wars <laughs> Open, where we probably put in most of our resources. What's really unique about a championship game, in some ways it's easier to call because you always go back to what's at stake. And what's at stake is a championship. And, you know, in a game like that, obviously how the teams got here, who are the stars, once you've identified that, for the most part your focus becomes on the game at hand. Um, so those games, to be honest with you, are easier to call than, you know, Goliath versus a team that's got no shot against Goliath, where you know you're going to have to empty the vault and you're going to have, you know, nine or ten things probably unrelated to the game that you're going to have to talk about because it's going to be, you know, 56 to three midway through the third quarter. Uh, last question for you, and I'll let you go on this note. Um, do the New York Mets allow you near the stadium? <laughs> you know, it's funny. So right <laughs> after that happened, um, I had, I called them the next day. And then there's actually, you know, it's funny, nobody ever asks me why I said it. There's, there's a great reason <laughs> as to why I said it. So, you know, I believe that was 2009, which was the Mets' first season at City Field. And... I was about to say Shea, and then I realized they played at City, and so I combined Shea and City, and when you combine Shea and City, well, you know, you, you get what you get, and um, I had no idea, I had no idea that I even said it, um, 
And it also didn't help that I think maybe a week before I'd seen the uh, the City Walk episode of South Park. So that was somewhere buried in my head. So you got all those three elements in play. I didn't even realize I said it. And then I was getting some texts from people and, you know, <laughs> hey, shitty field and ha, ha, ha. And I was like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. Sure. Like, what's he talking about? And like three weeks later, my producer says to me, hey, uh, when you were uh, tossing back to site, did, did you did you say shitty field? <laughs> and I said, um, <laughs> I don't think so. And he goes, okay. Somebody in the truck said, you, you may have said it. I was like, yeah, well, hey, let, me, let me check Twitter. I'm like, oh, oh, no, no, I, I – I said it, um, <laughs> and so yeah, it kind of it kind of it kind of blew up. Uh, but I, it's funny. I actually called the Mets the next day. Jay Horwood, the PR guy, it was funny. I jumped on the phone with him, and I was like, "Hey, you know, uh, last night during the ESPN broadcast, um, just wanted to call about uh, what was said, and then you know, really didn't mean any offense." And he's like, "Yeah, who said that?" And I was like, "Oh, that, that was that was that was me." <laughs> and he was kind of like, "Oh," and I was like, "Listen, I was not to say Shay." meant to say city and I combined the words and it was funny. He was actually really nice about it. He's like, I had to wait. It happens, you know, just, uh, you know, he appreciated me calling and, uh, you know, kind of putting an end to it. But uh, I've actually been to the stadium a few times, a beautiful stadium. Love going there. But yeah, it was one of those, it was one of those unfortunate things. The funny part about it was maybe three or four days after it happened, I get an email from Steve Levy and a lot of folks think we sound alike. <laughs> and because I wasn't on camera when I said it, a lot of people thought that Steve Levy said it, and Levy has had a, a blooper in the past, too, and he sends me an email with a link, and I think the subject title said something along the lines of, you're killing me, bro, and the, the link to the email was a link to the some blog, and they thought Steve Levy said it, and it said, bulging, bleep, anchor, says <laughs> shitty feel. <laughs> And so he just gave me a look. Oh, he's like, "You're killing me, man! You're killing me!" I was like, "Hey, man!" So it happens. But um, yeah, I mean, I can I laugh about it now. Were you a Mets fan growing up? We all, we all, we all get one. Were you a Mets or Yankees guy? I'm a a Yankees guy. Oh, so that made it even worse. Yeah, yeah, that's never. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, I had. It was funny at the time. I think my Facebook picture too was. You know, my profile picture was me and my dad at Yankee no. Stadium. Yeah, you, you know, you know how it is. So people pick up on that stuff. <laughs> Sabotage. And you know, every everybody loves a good conspiracy theory. So this was, you know, ESPN hates the Mets, and and how could they do that? And then why would they do that? And you know, I'm sitting here. It was it was an honest mistake, but uh, you know. And in, in, in today's age, you know, the truth is only the truth if you believe it. So. My apologies, by the way, if you had uh, young children in the car with you while you were listening to this. Uh, forgot to tell you, we say shitty at the end of the podcast. Uh, we, we, yeah. Uh, hindsight, uh, we talk about shitty field. Uh, city field, but the, the reference to it in a, a Freudian slip as shitty field. So, uh, sorry, kids, you learned a new word. But uh, <laughs> many thanks to Anish Raf for joining us. A lot of really cool stuff in there, and I we harped on it at the beginning. I loved the production conversation. I've been sitting here since we recorded this podcast trying to think of things I can do at the start of a broadcast that are different. Because we do, let's be honest, everybody. I feel like we all do. We we all fall into some sort of comfort zone with how we do things in a certain regard, uh, particularly opens uh, and pregame stuff and things of that nature. And I loved the idea of 
having you know, a color guy in the 12th man at the start of a Texas A&M broadcast, and I loved the Star Wars idea. Um, I don't know if you can do that on a smaller level because of clearance issues that Anish talked about, but I loved the idea of opening a game with the, the scrolling Star Wars credits like they did North Dakota State, South Dakota State. Uh, so many different ways and angles, and I kind of now I feel inferior sitting here because I, I, I keep coming up with nothing. Uh, so I'm sure my opens will continue to be the same as they've always been, but I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> We're going to come up with something eventually uh, that is a little bit different. Other thing I thought was interesting, we got into the reading aspect, which is kind of off base, but uh, reading. I don't read a lot of sports books, and I thought that was uh, neat to hear from, from Anish as well, and how, how important it is to be a broadcaster and just read. Read other things. Read everything. Uh, have that liberal arts background so that, you know, you can make references to things. I, I think that type of stuff informs your play-by-play in so many different ways when you can drop, you know, at the drop of a hat, some sort of not only pop culture reference, but like 1950s pop culture reference because you're worldly and you've read a lot. So I don't think you can understate reading non-sports stuff and if you can hit the non-fiction section and find some history read that um if you can hit the fiction section and and just read some good novels they don't have to be doesn't have to be moby dick and i i read a lot of uh, murder mysteries that's not necessarily going to inform references i drop on the air but vocabulary certainly i've I've picked up new words so just read this psa brought to you by play by playcast that being said we're out of time We will be back with you next week, though. Guest, I don't know yet at this moment, but we'll have somebody for you uh, coming up a week from today. Many thanks as well to Anish Shroff, as always, for joining us. Many thanks to you for clicking download and subscribe, retweeting, tweeting about it, letting somebody know that this podcast exists because the more people listen, the easier it is for us to continue to grow and expand and continue to get great guests on each and every week. Until next Friday, though, we say so long. Hit it, Marshmallow. We're out. (laughs) 